Revelation. Tonight we find ourselves in chapter 15. Chapter 15 is maybe the shortest book in Revelation, or the shortest chapter, I should say. In fact, we're going to read it in its entirety. If I remember correctly, it's eight verses. Yeah, it's just, it's just eight verses. And we're going to read all eight verses, and you're going to see what that's about. But we're going to take a little bit different tack. You're kicking them out, Jamie? Had enough? All right, come on in, guys. You're, you're just in time. This, you young people, look, up, look up here real quick. What we're talking about tonight is very important. We're talking about revelation. This is going to happen. We're not sure when. We think we're close. We know we're closer than ever. This, what we're talking about tonight could happen right away. The Lord could come right away. So it's very important that you listen because this is going to happen. And some, a lot of what's going to happen is awful. It's God judging sin on this earth. And he is going to, to judge that in a very dramatic, final way. But the good news is we believers don't have to live through this. The Lord's going to take us away if you're a believer. But it's very important to know about what the Lord is, is doing and is going to be doing what we believe to be in the not-too-distant future. But we're talking about Revelation, and again, it's a short chapter. We're going to read it in its entirety, and it's really an introductory chapter. It is introducing us to seven angels who are given seven vials or seven bowls. And when they pour out the vials or the bowls, they're pouring out God's judgment on the earth. So we're going to be introduced to them tonight. Then next week in chapter 16, we're going to see those angels pour it out and, and what it means. So this is kind of a, 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 an introduction tonight. And the, the, the seven judgments... Of these seven bowls or seven vials of these seven angels is going to be detailed in the next chapter. But I, but I want you to, to, to get, well, before I get to that, let me say this. Because it's a short chapter, I'm going to focus more tonight on the purpose of Revelation and, I guess you would call it, the problems with Revelation. Because Revelation is prophecy. It's, it's about what's going to happen. That's a challenge in and of itself. But a large part of that is also symbolic. In other words, we're not really quite sure what that means. And good men disagree on that. And the Lord did that for a reason. But we're going to explain later on some of the problems. And, and I've hinted at this along the way. I've hinted at what I'm going to be talking about tonight along the way, but tonight we're going to focus on it in more detail, and we'll just have to see it when, when, when we get there. But l- let me back up, and uh, on the next slide, a quote. Revelation 14, oh, wait, stop, I know where I was going with that. Um, Revelation is filled with symbolism. And sometimes John describes things as being like something. But we know what something is like, but we don't know what it is. And even in this chapter tonight, there's symbolism. A crystal sea and fire. You can read Wearsby. He's going to tell you the crystal sea might mean this. 
And you're going to read John MacArthur, and he's going to tell you, no, the crystal sea means that good men, knowledge, conservative, and for the most part, conservative men, I mean, they, they believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, and they, they, they believe it is God's Word, and they believe it's, it's important. But don't let that frustrate you. Because, I mean, if you're like me, I, I want to know. Well, the Lord is letting us know somewhat. And I think it's important, and you're going to see this when we get to this portion of the message, when we start talking about the problems of prophecy, you're going to see that a lot of people get in trouble when they try to know something that the Lord has left veiled. You know, he, he's, he's left it ob- obscure. You ever see people build houses and they put those blocks in there, glass, you know, squares, and they're like four or five, and, you know, and they let light through, but you, you try to look, you, you can't see what it is. That's, that's kind of like what Revelation is about. Let's get going. Revelation 14 seemed, the previous chapter, seemed to describe the consummation of all things, ending with the fury of the battle of Armageddon, when there's blood up to the bridle of the horses. That's in the last chapter. But now John will go back and describe God's judgment in more detail. This idea of stating... And then restating in more detail is common with prophecy and with the Hebrew literature in general. This reminds us that Revelation is not strictly chronological in its argument. So at the end of chapter 14, you might have thought, okay, well, that's the end. That's the battle of Armageddon. And then tonight we're going to read about, well, not tonight, we're going to be introduced to the seven angels and next week we'll be reading about the seven vials. And again, it's not necessarily in chron- chronological order. And that's why the Bible says, study to show thyself approved. You know, the, the Bible's a wonderful book. But as it says itself, you have to study it. You have to take it seriously. You, just, you get in trouble if you just have a, a, a surface understanding of, of Scripture. And that's why I commend you for being here on a, on a Wednesday night when we're studying through the book of Revelation. Well, in Revelation chapter 15, we're introduced to some images and to some symbolism that is challenging, and therefore I'm not going to try to explain all of it because whatever I say, somebody else is going to say something different. But I want you to get the big picture. And some of the material I'm going to share with you later from an author that I'm going to introduce you to later supports exactly the approach that I'm taking here. But we will read the chapter. Again, and just because it's symbolic, just because it's hard to understand, doesn't mean it's not important, doesn't mean that we ought to ignore it. We read it, we try to understand it as best we can, but it is important to come away with the big picture, which is exactly what we've been doing. So what does Revelation chapter 15, what do those eight verses say? Well, they're on the screen behind me. John says, and this again is happening in the future, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Folks, the wrath of God is real. And I don't have to go through it again, but like I said last week, if somebody just preaches God is love, he is doing that church a disservice. If someone just preaches the wrath of God, he's doing that church a disservice. Both are equally important. This is talking about the seven last plagues filled up with the wrath of God. 
And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Uh, these are martyrs. People, I, I'm, years ago I used to hear people debate, can people be saved during the... Uh, you know, during the tribulation or not, and I've heard people make strong arguments, no, if you don't get saved now, there's no chance you'll get saved during the tribulation. I just don't think that holds water. I don't even know why people make that argument, because I think it's overwhelming that people will get saved during the tribulation. But there will be martyrs, many martyrs, and that's what is, is being talked about here. Stand on the sea of glass. There's various interpretations as to what that means. Some guys say that's talking about the Word of God. And others will say, no, it's, 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 it's got to do with the, the part. Some read into that, the parting of the Red Sea. You know, I don't know. But what, what do I know? I do know that, once again, as I mentioned last week, in the midst of all this terrible destruction, in the midst of all this wrath, in the, in the midst of all these horrible things that are happening, God keeps reminding you and I of his blessings. And that these are believers from that period that have been saved, that he is honoring. Again, it's not a book of despair by any means for believers. It's a sobering book to think about the judgment of God and the wrath of God. But at the same time, even as God is describing his wrath, he is leaving, he's leaving the door open and the light on to encourage you and I, as he is here, acknowledging and honoring these saints before he brings his final judgment. We read on verse number 3, And they sing the songs of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses, well, that's Old Testament. The song of the Lamb, that's New Testament. And there are people that uh, interpret the song of the Old Testament, the song of the New Testament is you know, God, God's will being done through, throughout the ages, Old Testament and New Testament. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are, the, are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou, for thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. Verse 5, and after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And then the last two verses. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, or, or bowls, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And in next week's lesson, in chapter 16, we are going to read about those vials being poured out and the wrath of God uh, bringing judgment to the earth and God having the final say. 
So we've talked a little bit already tonight about, you know, chapter 8 and how different people will interpret this symbolism differently, and that's, that's all well and good. But there are some important, like I like to call them, life lessons here that I want us to take away tonight that's going to help us. I've shared some thoughts on, on uh, the study of Revelation with you. And as a pastor, one of the, this isn't a popularly well-known guy in, in a lot of circles, but Bob Deffenbaugh, I ran across an article that he wrote, and he expressed in better language, I think, than I can, uh, some of his concerns about Bible prophecy, some things you have to watch out for. But he also uh, listed some of the purposes of Bible prophecy and did so rather articulately. So I want to share with you tonight, uh, these thoughts are not original with me, but uh, I'm going to share with you, uh, he, he's, from, he's a Southern Baptist guy, but he's a conservative guy, and he's certainly a Bible scholar. I, I think he teaches at uh, the Dallas Theological Institute or whatever they call it. And um, just a common sense kind of guy. So I want to share with you, first of all, uh, purposes of prophecy, and then what I would call problems of prophecy or cautions about prophecy. And that's what I really want to focus on. But the purpose of prophecy. What's the purpose of this? What's the purpose of the foretelling of what is going to happen? You know, in Scripture back in the Old Testament, there was prophecy about Jesus. And, you know, when, not necessarily when he would be born, but where he would be born and some of the circumstances around his birth. And we saw that that was indeed fulfilled, as well as other prophecies back in the Bible. And now we have a prophecy yet to be fulfilled, and that's the book of Revelation. So what's the point? You know, why, why did God have certain men have the ability to uh, tell what would happen in the future and then indeed have it come to pass? Well, number one, Prophecy is used as proof of the inspiration, inerrancy, and authority of God's Word. In other words, fulfilled prophecy authenticates the Word of God. When somebody says that something is going to happen hundreds of years in the future, or whether whether it's days in the future, and it happens, people take note. Because an ordinary human being does not have that ability. He writes, if one would dispute the word of God, he, must, he or she must first disprove the Bible's claim of fulfilled prophecy. If you're going to dispute the Bible as the word of God, you must somehow discredit the prophecy. And because you can't discredit the prophecy, that it's fact that this prophet said this, 1,500 years before Christ was born, 1,500 years later it happened, you would have to discredit that to discredit the Bible. And and you can't. You might want to ignore it, but you can't discredit it. And what that does is it shows that this this book is special. Uh, What this book talks about was special. Men who had the ability to prophesy. So prophecy is used as proof of inspiration, inerrancy, and the authority of God's word. Number two, I like this. Prophecy should produce hope in the life of the Christian, which in turn promotes purity and perseverance. 
In other words, if God's word is true and God's promises are sure, then we ought to pursue the word of God. We, We ought to pursue what it teaches. If prophecy proves that the word of God is true, then that ought to give us hope. That ought to motivate us. That ought to promote within us the desire to live what this book teaches because this book is unlike any other. This book contains prophecy, prophecy that has come true, prophecy that will come true. Knowing that, that gives us hope. I mean, we look around and we can get discouraged about what we're seeing in our world today, but we're not without hope. We know that he's coming again, and we know that he's going to make all the wrongs right. And everybody that's shaking their fist at God, everybody that's making fun of God, everybody that's using foul language about God, and people that are living as if God does not exist, he's going to come back and he's going to right those wrongs. And he's going to do it in a big way, like we see in the book of Revelation tonight. So one of the purposes of prophecy should be to produce hope in the life of the Christian, he is coming again. What if he weren't coming again? What if there weren't no God? We'd just be sitting here wondering, how bad is it going to get? And is it going to ever end? But we know the answer to that question. Is it going to ever end? And the answer is yes. That gives me hope. I mean, if I didn't know Jesus was coming again, if I thought we were just on this little ball flying through the universe, you know, out of control with no one in control... And wondering how bad it's going to get, how ugly is it going to get? I mean, that, that would be discouraging. But the last chapter was written. And it has a good ending for the Christian. Prophecy can produce hope. Number three, prophecy tells us, this is so good, prophecy tells us the goal of human history. Prophecy tells us Where God is going in history. We know where he's going. Amen? It informs man of God's purposes. And therefore exhorts man to conform our lives to God's goals. We know that there is a God. We have been told about God through his word. We know that his word is true in part due to fulfilled prophecies in this book. And the prophecy yet to come tells us what God is going to do, or his goals, if you will. And knowing that, we need to bring our lives into conformity with where he is going. Amen? We know where he's going. We know that he hates sin. We, we know that he hates immorality. Uh, you know, all, all, the, all the ugly stuff that's going on today. He hates that, and we know where it's going. We know that he is going to judge that. So get on board. Join up. I mean, you, you want to be on the winning team. You know, you'll jump from Michigan State to Michigan. No? No. But, but you know, I mean, here there are a lot of people that like to jump. My, my, my grandson, Jay, 10 years old. Jeremy's son down in Dow Hart, Texas. <laughs> Jeremy gets so frustrating with him. I, I said, Jeremy, who, who's, who's Jay pulling for? He said, whoever's winning. 
He said, he said we're watching a game. He said, I'll tend the pool. If I, if I don't have a horse in the race, he said, I'll tend the pool for the underdog, right? Not, not, not uh, what's my grandson's name? Jay, not Jay. Jay, Jay is going to pull for whoever's winning, and if the team that's behind takes over, well, now he's for them, <laughs> you know. He, he wants to be on the winning side. Well, you know, when it comes to the Lord's work, you're smart if you want to be on the winning side. And prophecy tells us we know where he's going, so don't fight him. Don't live like the unsaved world. Don't, don't live like the unsaved teenagers. You're, that, that's part of the losing team. Get, get on the winning team. Prophecy tells us the goal of human history. And number four, prophecy should also create in us a sense of urgency. One of the bad things about a lot of churches and a lot of Christians today is just apathy. I mean, apathy brought on by maybe being distracted and being worldly or thinking that we're overwhelmed. Prophecy should stir us up. Prophecy should motivate us for the Lord's return that we would even want to hasten his coming, that we're excited about his coming, that there should be within us a sense of urgency. And that's one of the things I appreciate about Jeremy's message too. It it was a message of, hey, probably in our generation times have never been darker, which means never will it have been more possible for our light to shine brighter than right now. And I really think there are some folks beginning to look for that light. You know, the Lord has blessed our church. And I was talking to Doug Jackson, pastor Community Baptist Church down in uh, Saginaw. And I was talking to him. And, and I told him, I said, Doug, I said, you know, the, the Lord's been doing some unusual things at our church this summer and into the fall. And I said, and this, I haven't told you this. I said, I'm talking to a lot of pastors of Bible-believing churches that are telling me good things, how God is blessing them. And I said, it, it, it's amazing. I, I said, you know, I think we're in the end times, but there's no reason why there can't be a revival. And that's what Jeremy was saying. He said, what a better time for our light to burn brighter than, than right now. And so we should have a sense of urgency knowing the Lord is coming. So let's gather in everybody as, as quickly as, as we can. So those are some of the positive things about prophecy. But let's share just for a moment some cautions about prophecy. Now, I have mentioned these before, and some of these are kind of pet peeves with me. I'm reading them from Bob Deffenbaugh, but, I mean, he's just articulating my, my own thoughts, and let me share them with you. He says, number one, a word of caution about curiosity. Now, you got to listen. By its very nature, prophecy is mysterious. Granted, that's a given. That can be good. But it can be a hindrance. Curiosity can be a dangerous commodity. And he explains. We would like to know certain details more to satisfy our curiosity than to conform our lives to Christ. Let me read that again. That is absolutely profound. We would like to know certain details more to satisfy our curiosity than to conform our lives to Christ. And let me give you the next statement. We may speak of prophecy as deep spiritual truth. He says, truth that is deep, in my estimation, is that which leads to mature Christian living. Do you understand what he's saying there? 
there's a place for curiosity. But I have met people that want to delve into the most minute details of the symbolism of, of, of revelation. And yet, they can't come back to church on Wednesday night. Are you following me? You've met people like that, that are so wrapped up in revelation. Oh, I know, I want to, you know what that is there? That's those black helicopters. And there's black helicopters over in Grayling. Pastor, what do you think about that? Well, I tell you what, will you be here for work day next Saturday? Oh, no, I'm busy. I got to go this. But those black helicopters, let me tell you about those black helicopters. I wouldn't ask them this, but do you tithe? You know, are are, are you witnessing the people? I, I don't think this is a point. I don't think this is an unnecessary point. I have met people just consumed with the most minute details of revelation that we will never, ever know. What that glass is and the fire in it, we're, we can guess, we can speak. That's all well and good, but, but live it. Live it. There's, there's, there, there, there are people that are just enraptured with revelation. And look, Revelation is, is as much a part of the Bible as every other book. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying we should stay away from it. Am I not teaching through it? You know, I'm, not even, I'm teaching through it. But I guess it's a pet peeve of mine that people think they're so spiritual because they're enamored with the most minute details of Revelation, again, that they will never know. And they think they're so spiritual. And yet they hadn't witnessed anybody, they don't tithe, they don't give the missions, they don't come to church activities, they, they won't come to Sunday school. You know, don't let them fool you. Which leads us to point number two, which is related. Beware of straining at gnats and swallowing camels. He says, we are guilty of this abuse whenever we focus on the minutia of prophecy and overlook the message. Well stated. In fact, he goes on to say, Common sport, this is what I've been talking about. Common sport among Christians is to play the game of who's who in prophecy. Is the Antichrist Saddam Hussein? Ooh. Is it Obama? Don't say yes. We don't. (laughs) Or Hillary, or whoever, Trump, whoever. Is a powerful computer in Europe a part of the satanic program? Of course, Satan is constantly grooming a man for the job, but we are not often profited by that kind of speculation. We're straining at gnats and we're swallowing camels. Another quote on this same topic. The primary message of prophecy is often the same, regardless of one's eschatology. That's the view of end times. Are you pre-rapture, post-rapture? This guy is saying, regardless of your view there, the, the message is the same. Jesus Christ is coming soon to judge the earth, to rid it of evil, and to establish his kingdom. The truth that truth should transform our lives, even though we may disagree about the details. Let us beware of straining at gnats and swallowing camels. Are you following me on this one? Again, I am not downplaying revelation at all. We're teaching through it. But the people who try to come across as so spiritual because they're into the black helicopters in Revelation and you know, whoever is obviously the Antichrist, and this represents these countries. What was we studying earlier? And a, a good guy, not a member of our church, 
comes here ever so often, came up to me after one of my lessons on Revelation and said, said something about, some of you may know this, he said, Chernobyl, Chernobyl, you know, where that meltdown of that nuclear reactor was, means something that's found in Revelation. Does anybody know? Somebody may know what he's talking about because I studied it and it's, it's out there. But it, there's a word used in one of the earlier chapters and he says, Chernobyl means that word. And, you know, okay. And, and, and that's fine if you, if you want to speculate on that. But make sure you're living right too. And will you be back on Wednesday night? And will you be here for Sunday school? And will you come to the activities? And will you bring your pop bottles? And will you try to be a good neighbor? And that, 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 that's all we're saying here. You know, we, we, we strain at the gnats, but we, we, we miss the big picture. We, we swallow the, 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 the camels. And that leads us to number three. Watch out for inappropriate application. This is one of my pet peeves. Any doctrine can be twisted in such a way that our actions are an abuse of truth. I've heard preachers take Old Testament stories, and that's typically where a lot of these ranting and raving preachers go. They go to the Old Testament, and they'll take a story, and they'll just you know, say, this is what this means. And it doesn't say that, and in some cases it doesn't even mean that. Sometimes it may illustrate something very well. But that's what he's talking about here. Be careful. I won't say that. In Romans 5 and 6, we see the doctrine of grace of God can be twisted to the point that we use it as a pretext for sin. You see, that's what they were doing. People were acknowledging the grace of God, but because of the grace of God, hey, we can go and do whatever we want to do. That's taking a truth and twisting it. And if you're not careful, particularly with, with revelation, you can be guilty of that as well. He says this, so too, even a correct interpretation of prophecy can result, because of our own sinfulness, in an ungodly response on our part. Those of us who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture could misapply this doctrine by rejoicing because of man's evil. Surely this proves that the Lord's return is near rather than by actively resisting it. So we know the world is going to grow wax, it's going to wax worse and worse, and somebody might say, well, that, you know, that's good. That, that's good, that just is going to hasten the Lord's return. But that's contrary to the Lord telling us to live holy, righteous, pure lives. So again, that's why you've got to study the Bible. You, you, the, the people that know a little Bible are the ones most susceptible to being led astray. And that's why I commend you for being here on a, <clears throat> on a Wednesday night. So, uh, again, theologians can dig into Revelation. They can speculate on what some of that symbolism means. And in some cases, what they will do, the guys that really know their Bible, they will speculate, well, the, the glass sea in Revelation means this because it was, this is good interpretation, because it was mentioned back, uh, I'm just drawing, making this up, because a glass sea is mentioned in Isaiah, and in Isaiah we know it means this, so over here it must mean this. Again, you've you got to use proper interpretive technique in letting the Bible explain the Bible. So some guys are just pulling stuff out of thin air, but a true Bible scholar in trying to interpret some of the symbolism of Revelation, he's doing so based on that being in other parts of the Bible and seeing it there. And, say, and, and most guys will say it, it could be that that it's referring to. Lastly, we should understand that God has not told us everything that will happen. 
and that we will not fully understand even what he has what has been revealed. Let us seek to avoid the pitfalls which Satan would use to distort or distract us from the purpose God has for us in this prophecy. And let this prophecy stir our souls to worship, obedience, and perseverance. May the person of Christ and our reunion with him be our goal and our consuming desire. In other words, we will look at the symbolism and we will go, wow. And maybe we can try to figure it all out and that will give us some greater insight. But don't miss the big picture. God hates sin and is going to judge it in, in a very wrathful way. Don't miss the big picture that God loves his children and he will watch over them. And those that are on this earth, when he comes, he's going to take us away so that we don't have to go through all of that. Those that may get saved during the tribulation, yes, they're going to face a a martyr's death, but at the same time, there's going to be special honor and special recognition for them. And knowing that he's coming again, We don't have to speculate about that. And it really does concern me when I see some people so enamored with Revelation and trying to pick out the details of it. I mean, their curiosity is just killing them. And there's a place for curiosity. But they miss the big picture. And they can't be faithful in church. And, 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 and they can't witness, and, and, and they have a bad testimony. But man, they're enamored about Revelation. Again, I have met those people. And to be honest, I'm not talking about anybody in our church. I, I, I'm not talking about, I don't think I know anybody in our church that, that fits that description right now. But I have met people along the way in three churches over 40 years of ministry. And usually they're people that pop in and out of church, you know, that's just kind of, they're, they're just popping in our church, and when they're there, they, they want to get to the book of Revelation. And, but they're missing the big picture. And I don't want us to miss the big picture. I'll, you know, you, you, you want to study what some of this symbolism means. Hey, I, I wouldn't discourage you from that. I would discourage you about coming to a conclusive answer that's going to make you argue with people. But make sure you're not missing out on the big picture. Let's look back in Revelation. We're done. Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. Let's just look back at the book of Revelation. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. These are people that were alive during the tribulation, and here they are singing. We are not going through the tribulation right now, but we're going through messy times for sure. You and I can still come on Sunday morning and sing. Amen? We can still come on Sunday morning and sing. In the midst of all the tribulation. You see God in chapter after chapter as he's describing his wrath, also showing love 
and gentleness, compassion, and reward for his people. Aren't you glad you're saved? Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.